This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. So Tom, we're back again. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, G. Do you know what I love about this time of year? Right, you slog it through the winter if you live in the UK. And then finally, it starts warming up. It's not raining all the time. Hopefully the snow's gone. And then you start thinking that that big question... When am I going to ditch the bib tights? When am I just going to wear shorts? Like, what would you do? Would you would you be an early adopter of the shorts? I'm lucky enough that we were in Grand Canary in January, so I've already been in shorts quite a lot of the time, to be honest. But no, generally in the UK, I'll be wrapped up. Wow, you've changed. All these years living away from home, you've changed. Yeah, I have got soft, that's for sure. It's almost arm and leg warmer season, isn't it? And if people haven't seen this, we're not talking about the sort of leg warmers that you might wear in a dance studio. Although if you want to wear those on the bike, that's fine. It's the classic <laughs> in-betweeny time of year, uh, an arm an arm warmer, leg warmer. You could just start your ride off and then stick it in your back pocket when you're done. Talking of kit, anyway, Tom, we had this from Neil sent in this week who said, just for a bit of fun, what is the oldest bit of kit that you still use? Mine is a 20-year-old Umbro base layer, washes like new and still keeps me warm. So, Tom, I'm going to ask you the same question. There's got to be a bit of dirty old kit that you can't get rid of. <laughs> I have got... You get quite a sentimental attachment, don't you, to some jerseys. I've also got... When we did your first book together, my little treat for, for the hours of, of typing away was to get myself a really nice pair of bib shorts from one of the top-end manufacturers that we won't mention, but you'll probably know the one I mean. People rave about their bib shorts and ordinarily I couldn't have justified it. But because we'd spent a lot of time writing your first book, I thought, come on, that would be a good treat. And do you know what? That was six, what's that, six years ago? And those bib shorts are still going strong. So that was Fair a great play. purchase. Yeah. How about you? I mean, you just get a new kit every year, don't you? Just, you're ditching your kit. <laughs> I think what I end up doing is in the, say, in the one year using the same kit. So for instance, if I have a good result and I'm wearing like, you know, the shorts and the jersey and this. I'll always just keep wearing that throughout the rest of the race. So we've got a suitcase full of kit and you wear the same bib shorts and socks for the rest of the race, you know? So, so yeah, I get a bit superstitious like that, I guess. And my shoes, actually. I, I definitely make use of my shoes. Like a lot of boys sort of change them every sort of maybe, well, some guys at least go for two or three pairs a season, whereas I can get a good year use out of mine. Just because I hate changing shoes as well. You know, with your cleats, like adjusting your cleats and in, in a new pair of shoes. Oh, it's all right. Pain. So, um, yeah, shoes, I definitely make use of that. Do you have to give your kit back at the end of a season or do you dish it out to, to your mates in Cardiff and to, to your father-in-law? I'd love to see your father-in-law in a, in a skin-tight time trial um, <laughs> suit. <laughs> well, he sort of gets uh, the gloves, the over socks and stuff, which... He can't fit into anything else. He was always on to Ian Stannard for extra kit. So <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do now he's retired. Yeah, I'm not sure what that says about Ian Stannard. But anyway, let's crack on with the episode. So Tom, we've covered climbers. Uh, we've done some time trialing. We've spoken to experts on wind and breakaways, track cycling. But I think it's time to get some real big hitters now. You know, the big explosive guys, the bosses of the peloton. Should we do an episode on bunch sprints? 
Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a proper bunch sprint? Because well, you never really know what's going to happen if you're watching. And also, sprinters just seem different. Like they're a different breed to the rest of the peloton. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of cycling. It's, it's all shapes and sizes can do it, can't they? Like they say that about rugby, but it's just not true because I it's cannot play anymore. rugby. <laughs> no, whereas cycling, it genuinely, like George North could probably step up and do a bunch sprint, you know? The bunch sprint as well, it's just that build up to it, isn't it? Like obviously the if it's 150k ending in a bunch sprint, the first 100k, pretty boring really. But it's just that build up to the big crescendo and... And when you actually understand what's going on, you see those aerial shots, you see the different teams jostling for position, you know what everyone's trying to do. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's great, I think, yeah. They always strike me, sprinters. They're almost like the, the lead singers or, I don't know, maybe the lead guitarists of the peloton. So like climbers are often quite quiet, aren't they? Little men, not particularly demonstrative. But when you think about the big sprinters, they all love it. They all love being on the stage. Yeah, definitely. Even the the quiet ones don't say so much. Inside their heads, they they think they're the the big ones. Yeah, they definitely all <laughs> think they're the lead singers, even though they're not. The GC men really are, aren't we? Because you know <laughs> we're what it's all about. But yeah, we let them think they are. Yeah, that's true, actually. G. So like, let's go back. Let's reverse through time. So you obviously know Mark Cavendish super well. You know what he's like as a character, and he's definitely he definitely thinks he's a lead singer. If you go back through, I suppose, Mario Cipollini and you think of his crazy body suits, that's like, he was almost like the Freddie Mercury or maybe actually Elton John because Elton John's got the crazy stage gear, hasn't he? And Cipollini would have those, the the suits with like a, you could see like painted on pecs and he had the lion one and stuff like that, didn't he? And then old Jamaluddin Abdu Japarov, when I, was, when I was a kid, who was just the Tashkent Terror. You don't get climbers called the Tashkent Terror, do you? You don't know, and Abdul Japarov, he was he was bonkers, though, wasn't he? He was like Marilyn Manson. Like, yeah, he was. Not in the way, not in the crazy way that Marilyn Manson was crazy, but Abdul Japarov was just like unpredictable and would just do anything. But yeah, Chippo for sure, he is definitely a lead singer. There's no, there's no, there's no arguing with that. But yeah, sprinters like Eric Zabel, he was you yeah. know a legend in the day. You know, big characters as well, and I think the sport definitely needs guys like that you know Sargon is sort of along those lines but he's not an out and out sprinter but he's obviously a big character but yeah I think the sprinters definitely add another dimension like you, you need those traditional stages in, in grand tours yeah they're great it's almost like the, traditionally the first week of a grand tour that you just sit back and just enjoy the battle of the sprinters don't you you know the GC battle's coming you know the high mountains are coming but that first week is come on I'm not going to watch the whole stage. I'm just going to watch like the last 40 minutes. Just let it come to the boil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we don't want five out of the seven stages being bunch sprints because that's pretty dull. And uh, you know, even as a rider, they're just crazy. So you don't want to do too many of them. But, you know, yeah, you've got to have a few big bunch sprints in the first week of a Grand Tour for sure. Right, let's get our guest on. Over the centuries, the world's greatest wordsmiths have crafted the most beautiful sentences ever written. Shakespeare. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Austin. There is no charm equal to tenderness of heart. And Jermaine Pennant. I pulled two birds and I went home, which is nearly a proverb. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to the Football Book Club podcast, the only book club that's less Charles Dickens, more Paul Dickoff. And you can listen to our brand new series right now by searching Football Book Club wherever you get your podcasts. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by our friends at Amp Human. They're dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential, even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, gee, this all sounds quite fancy, but you've been using it for, what, a couple of years now? Does it help? Yeah, definitely. And it's not just any old ad this either, you know, to try and get a bit of cash in to help produce the pod. But I genuinely feel like it does help kind of lather it on wherever you want, whatever muscles are working. So, yeah, bang it all over my legs for any hard session or, uh, yeah, time trial. Well, there's studies as well that show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And you can benefit too with 25% off your next purchase using the code GTCC25. That's the letters GTCC and the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Right, okay, so it's my turn to introduce the guest. Um, well, actually, I always introduce them, don't I? But I haven't actually thought of an intro. I should be getting more used to this. But um, right, what can I say? Well, he's he's a top-notch sprinter. He's been in the game for a long time. He's come a long way, you know. I think he's he's come through the ranks. He's kind of cycling's version of... Oh, bollocks. You're going to have to chop this bit out, Lou. But um, <laughs> what's his name now? Um, what sport? Leicester City striker Vardy. Jamie Vardy yeah he's basically cycling's version of Jamie Vardy really won the green jersey in the 2020 Tour de France welcome Sam Bennett hey how's it going thanks for having me thanks for coming just just before we get started just want to say congratulations on your uh, nomination for Irish you were one of the nominees for Irish Sports Personality of the Year weren't you <laughs> I was yeah but they messed up the photo didn't they yeah, um, they picked a, a photo of uh, Remy Cavagna, so uh, a teammate of mine, a French guy. So a uh, <laughs> little bit, uh, you know, like I could have dealt with winning it, but um, I found it a little bit insulting that they couldn't get a pit, uh, the correct picture of me, but uh, sure, it happens. Who picked you to the, the honour? Katie, uh, Irish boxer. Katie Taylor, gold medalist at the Olympics. Yeah, it was uh, fantastic to see her win it again, actually. Just a shame that people didn't know they were actually voting for... Sam Bennett, they probably thought they were, why Why some French dude nominated for Irish sports personality? <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought of uh, asking him to do, a, to do a video, hey, I'm Sam Bennett, but in a French accent and <laughs> take the mick a bit. But, uh, <laughs> so Sam, I think all of us want to know, like Gino's a, a little bit about what happens in, in the mad hurly-burly of a bunch sprint and he's acted as the lead-out man for, for people down the years like, like Mark Cavendish at the Worlds in, in 2011. But I want you to take us inside that, almost, I suppose, that last four or five kilometres and do us a little countdown as you get close to the line. Is there always a plan? Like, Do you always have a plan in your head for a particular finish? Like an ideal situation that the team's going to have? And if you do, how many times has that actually come to pass? How many times does it just disappear in the chaos of a finish? Um, the computer wants me to restart to download the updates. <laughs> <laughs> pick a pick a time. Oh, if if you just ignore it, it might just go anyway. I think tomorrow tomorrow is perfect. <laughs> Sorry, now 
I say in the last couple of years, a plan has only ever worked perfectly, maybe two or three times. Um, really? Like sprint finishes, you always have to be able to adjust and think on the spot. Um, a lot of the times last year, same the Tour de France, myself and Morkov, um, we came from within the bunch without a guy in front of us and we, 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 were, we were better off when we kind of surf our own way around. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where when you're fitter and you're not under as much pressure, you're able to think on the spot more. And when you're more, yeah, when you're really tired in the final, like a gap or an opening, before you think about it, the gap is gone. So you end the tour, actually, when the, the speed is higher and it's even, yeah, the finals are harder. It's those split second uh, reactions. Yeah, those split second decisions that uh, make a big difference. I think I've gone off topic now, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sam, what what would it be? What would happen? Say, if you lose your lead out man, then is would that be down to you to go and find him, or will he sort of leave the train and come and look for you and bring you back, or what's the what's so, the crack there? I think you see one of the things I find with having a lead out man is you have to do as many races as you can with them because you almost have to be able to think like know what they're thinking and know how they're going to react to certain situations and you have to know their kind of power delivery and their capabilities so then when you're going into the final yeah and you know what they're doing if you lose the wheel you can still find a way of getting back and you can actually kind of hold back a bit and time it because you kind of know when he's going to go and you might leave him go away for 500 meters or a kilometer and then come back to him at the right time and then you know he's going to go and it's it, it kind of comes with more racing um it's something that's kind of very hard to get because even this year i kind of struggled with that at the start of the year kind of getting used to how michael morku operates but in the tour actually going for the green jersey we're doing more and more sprints so it's actually like practice and by the end of it we we're getting better and better and because we had to finish like the, the finishes at the end of stages, but the intermediate sprints. But yeah, it's just um, kind of have a feeling for your lead up, man. And uh, no, yeah, knowing how to, to react. Yeah, I think that's key as well, Tom, is that trust with the lead up, man. I remember myself and Cav once in the Giro when we were up in Denmark. So it must have been, I think it's 2012, actually. And I was like leading him out. I was riding the track at the time. So I had a bit more punch or a lot more punch and, um, you know, top end sort of speed. And uh very first stage or oh, it was after the prologue it was and I lost the guy in front of me and Cav was behind me and I remember him shouting right lad right and I was like oh yeah but it's just in the thick of it there if I just go left I can just get some clear space basically you know rather than trying to fight through people and just use my power to get back up and I was like right I'm gonna go left just follow me I didn't obviously say that but he, he sticked with stuck with me anyway just went out, moved into the wind, got back up into front, put him back in position and then lead out went and he won the stage and it was it was all great. But, you know, if he didn't have that trust in me and just followed me and he just went off and did his own thing, it, that's when it's just chaos then. And then other times it definitely doesn't work as well. Like in the same race we were coming into, it was Montecatini was the finish. Cav, we all lived maybe 10, 15K away from there at the time in Italy. So it was kind of like our home little stage. Cav really wanted to win it. And some guy actually, it was Pete Kenyuk, me, Cav, that was like the lead out. And then some guy from another team came past and like tried jumping away. Pete closed it to him, but there was a corner, maybe 400 meters to go. And this guy overcooked it, went way too fast, crashed. Pete was sort of like 
almost crashing. I had my foot out, just managed to stay up. But then that obviously meant the Cav had no speed coming out of this corner. The guy behind Cav had the perfect line, had the jump, got the gap, ended up winning. Cav was coming back at him like, you know, something really fast. I was going to say shit off a shovel, but... Um, <laughs> you have. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, but then afterwards, Cav was like livid. He was like, lad, next time, just crash. Just get out the way. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah, sorry, Cav. Yeah, next time I'll just crash. But um, so, yeah, it's, it's just so much can go wrong, even when you're, you know, you got the fastest guy because in that race, Cav was the fastest. And But the, there's so much more to it in this, Sam. And he, he kind of like, a lot of the time, I don't know, I might be wrong because I've never been the sprinter, but it's almost like, right, I'm leaving my success in these guys' hands because I know I'm fast enough to win, but unless they get me in this position and I've got my full trust in them to do it, but unless they drop me off at the right place, I'm not going to win this. Somebody else is. So that trust must be, especially as you say, you know, it was a new team for you this year. And as I said, you know, Jamie Vardy of cycling, you've you've come through smaller teams and done it your own way almost without a, a great lead out. So that must have been a big, big change for you. Yeah, um, it was like it actually took me a long time to adjust to it, uh, getting the lead out like that. Because often in a bunch of sprints before, like I like say last season, there was always like I used other guys and other teams as a point of reference in the bunch. So where I need to position, be positioned when I need to like yeah move up, and also timing my sprint off other guys. So when I came into Quickstep, and it's one of the biggest sprint teams, I, I became the point of reference. So it was hard for me to kind of judge my timing, my my delivery with the power, and when I had to go. And yeah, it was uh, it was something new to me, um, and I really was letting letting everything down to the team. But what I also found was sometimes I didn't have to always follow them in the in the last couple of hundred meters. So if I felt they were going too early, I'd let uh, some guys in. Say, like, I'm only going to use this as an example, but the Champs-Élysées, we were coming into the last corner and I knew it was too early. We were there a few laps. We did a few laps before. Uh, I knew it was a headwind. So when I'm sprinting, I don't wear uh, glasses with a, a frame underneath the, the lens. So I can always kind of see in my peripheral vision the, the bottom of the front, yeah, the forks and the wheel. So I can tell what team is there on which rider almost so and always like I'm always kind of checking where they are what side so I can kind of yeah block certain sides of the roads and also think about my delivery so I knew Trek was there I knew who it was going to be it was going to be Steven Pedersen so I knew that they were going to go early uh, I knew uh, I'm going to sound cocky but I knew I could beat him with uh, speed so I let them in. Um, so then I knew how Morkov was going to deliver it. So I let him off, did his, his lead out, and then Stiven went. So I kind of, yeah, planned that. So you do kind of leave it up to your team to bring you to the finish. But sometimes you can use that to your advantage as well. Like if you know how they're going, like I kind of knew at this stage what, what way Morkov was going to do his lead out. So I was able to kind of plan by seeing who's behind and letting them in and then do my own thing off that. So sometimes, yeah, that doesn't always work. But uh, yeah, sometimes it does. Like, <laughs> yeah, when you say that now, it's kind of like, it's mad because this all goes through your head in literally two or three seconds, really, doesn't it? Like at the time, you're doing 60k an hour on the Champs-Élysées and you look down, you're like, this process, boom, 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 that's all done. It takes you like two minutes to explain it. 
but in your head it's like done boom and that's the thing like when i was saying earlier when you're tired you can't process all that uh, the moment is gone and you just end up sticking on the wheel and trying to go and you go too early and people come around you and you end up finishing fifth or sixth or whatever it may be but when you're strong and you're confident um, you're just more alert and I know it sounds like like the movies but everything slows down around you and you're able to make all these calculations so you're you're calculating the wind what it was like the, the last before the the gradient of the road so like if it's yeah if it's uphill you're going to want to go later um you're trying to see who's behind you the team know what their effort is like and then you want to know whether you have to block them or not and then you need to think about your gearing your timing everything and you're trying to make these decisions in in split seconds <laughs> on the Champs-Élysées as well is there a better better place to be because People might not know, but that home straight is a right bastard. Like it's, you know, it's cobbles in it. Like obviously it's not cobbles like Paris-Roubaix, but it's hard. It's like uneven. There's holes and divots. And the thing is, like on TV, it looks so smooth, and it's like yeah. it's a proper climb up to the up to the roundabout there. And then the backside is super quick. And I remember even the another, another year, like the bumps are hidden in the cobbles, so you're hitting them at 70, 75 kilometers per hour going down the hill. I've seen somebody lose their hands off the bars and hit the deck. So it is pretty sketchy. But um, but coming around the corner, it's like if it's a headwind, it's a long 250. Um, and it's kind of like because there's like melted tar where the cars are drive, there's almost like four lanes. There's two lanes for the cars, but there's four lanes from where the tires go. So there is like smoother parts to go on. But uh, to be honest, I even forgot to look. I knew, like, before the stage, I said, right, I have to pick the smoothest line so that I'm not hitting bumps. And then in the end, I didn't even think about that. Would you say the the stage win on the Champs-Élysées is the best thing you could do as a sprinter? Um, it's a tough one. Like, for me, so there's three races I always wanted to win. Um, Champs-Élysées, Milan-San Remo, and World Champs. Um, I think as a sprinter they're the main ones you look at. Like, there are other big ones that, like, sprinters like to win, like Schelle de Prix and, um, I suppose, Ghent Wevelgem, if the race goes right. But, yeah, those are the, the main three. And I think everybody looks at the Tour de France to see who the top sprinter of the moment is. And then if you can win on the Champs-Élysées, you're, you're not a bad sprinter. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> not at all. That's got to be, yeah, I'd say... In a stage race, that's the pinnacle, isn't it? Yeah, in a stage race, that's the that's the one the sprinters want to, to win. Like, and so much has to go right. Like, it's not only that it goes right in the day, but you can't crash or or go outside the time limit on the on the twenty days beforehand, and you can't yeah. be too tired by the end of the race. So it's not just one day; it's it's three weeks going to that. Sam, when I think about like the great sprinters down the years, they always seem to be extroverts they often seem, often seem to be quite angry people like if you think about Mario Cipollini or Abdu Japarov back in the day or dare I say it Cav you know quite loud extrovert <laughs> characters you seem super calm like is there another Sam behind the mask um I think so um <laughs> like I yeah I am yeah I am an introvert and <laughs> I'm not yeah uh not very loud but um it's funny like for the first 
years of my career, I, I always got pushed around in a bunch. I was always like, yeah, once people start to know you're a pushover, you're always their exit when they have to get out the sprint. And you can never get, there's almost like in a blunt sprint that there's a bubble where the top sprinters are accepted. And if you're not one of these guys, or if you're not doing a job for one of these guys, you're pushed out. Um, and it's hard to break into. And uh, I was always like getting pushed around. And it wasn't until I became an ass, I started getting the results. <laughs> I'd gotten in there. And now, yeah, uh, I don't really argue with people, but I don't I don't take anything from them. And when I get into the last kilometers, it's like a, a switch is flicked and um, I, I become uh, a little bit stubborn. So <laughs> how does that manifest itself then? Are you... Are you like physically in terms of elbows, if someone's getting in your space, are you shouting and swearing at people who are trying to take your your line? Yeah, I get, uh, yeah, I get a bit verbal. Um, but uh, no, I, I think the last few years I got a bit more physical. Um, and uh, yeah, you kind of have to be and you have to be more dominant. Um, and But the main thing is, it's like, if I give you room, I expect the same back. If I'm following uh, the jersey of my teammate, I expect to be given that wheel. And if you don't give me that wheel, then it's your own fault for getting in the way. And that's just the way it is. Like, you, you don't take somebody else's lead out. Like, yeah, I was going to say, that's that's an unwritten rule, isn't it, Sam, basically? Yeah, you you like, don't jump in somebody else's line. No, absolutely not. Um, and you don't, you, you just don't let it happen. If you continuously let it happen, then, then they're just going to do it again and again and again. Like I did it one time and I was embarrassed for doing it. And I did it to Cockard this year in the tour. Um, it was the one Caleb one and I was, I think I became second because Peter was disqualified. We were like, a, it was a photo finish, but I took Cockard's lead out. I didn't mean to. I didn't know until I was actually after doing it. So I actually found him on Instagram and uh, sent him an apology later because uh, I just don't think it's acceptable. Was that one of those though? Sorry, not really sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going like, to I'm gonna say honest, sorry now because we've got another 10 stages of the tour. But actually, <laughs> I don't really give a shit, mate. You well, should have held that so wheel. It is his job to hold a wheel. Um, but uh, to be fair, like I said, right, I'm going to go here. If he has my wheel, it's probably the best play- position for him to be in. And it, he's a good, he's a guy that's well able to come around, guys. You saw him, I think, one year he nearly beat uh, Kittle when he was in top form. So um, I, like, after I did it, I was kind of like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. But then I kind of thought about it, even though it was still like, was inside the last 500 meters and this is going through my head um, <laughs> I was like ah feck it you know what if, if he's on my wheel it's probably the best position um, because his two lead out men are after going too early here so yeah in the end I think uh, it wasn't a bad spot for him but um, again I I wouldn't like it to happen to me so I, I, I don't like to do it to somebody else mm. that thing you say Sam about the like respect almost or you know holding your position it's kind of a virtuous circle though isn't it because like the the more races you win, the more respect you get, the more room you get to do your thing. You know, you win some big races, you go to bigger teams, that team will get more space. So now you've won the green jersey, you're in quick step, which are highly respected in a bunch of sprints. Like you're going to get even more space to do your thing. So it's just only going to help, surely. Um, yes and no. Uh, the reason being, every year I find that there's there's less and less respect in the peloton. 
Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Just, it's just going out the window. Um, and I find that wearing the jersey, yeah, it, it, it does make a difference. Like when we were pro Conti in uh, Bora, uh, Bora, Argon, and we went to World Tour, we got like, I couldn't believe the room you got in the bunch. Like, we're going from pro country to world tour like you just got so much more room so this is the equivalent for, of going say in football terms from the championship to the Premier League yeah it's like a championship team battling on and then a premiership team coming in and oh after you sir type thing yeah. isn't it but the, the, the funny thing is every year like you start the season again it's like so you said like oh, I, I went into quick step uh, I'm not doing the green jersey you should have a lot more respect but often find every year the first race day it all starts again because everybody's motivated everybody thinks they're going to have the best season of their career they're after working hard all winter and it just starts again and then you almost have to fight for that spot again um sorry now if i again if i sound arrogant but you have to like show that this is your spot and that they're not going to come in and take it and just like yeah just get your place back in the peloton i suppose yeah, mate, I've got to say as well, don't apologise for sounding arrogant. You're a sprinter. You, you've got to be, like, confident, <laughs> pushy, like, get out of my way, son. I'm Sam Bennett. <laughs> Do you know who won that green jersey last year? What have you done? Where were you in July, mate? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can think it. I don't have to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got a question for you, then. What's, what's your view on GC, guys? Because, obviously, every Tour de France, there's a... A big thing about Look at Sam's like, face. GC guys, bloody getting in the way in the bunch sprints because because basically for for listeners that might not know, the time on every stage at three k to go. If there's a mishap after that, if there's a crash or your chain comes off, whatever, you end up getting the same time as the guy who wins a bunch sprint because it's a bunch sprint. So time is basically taken on three k to go. So all the GC guys is a big stress to at least get through three k to go in the group and then they can sort of chill a bit and maybe lose a bit of position but up to that point you got the sprinters you got sam and his team you got caleb ewan and his team then you got you know four or five other sprinters doing their things and you've got the gc guys trying to get in there and you know as we've said in previous pods gc guys generally are pretty small like i'm big for a gc guy so they're bouncing around and it can just be crazy and <laughs> you can guarantee after two three four stages of tour de france there'll be tweets bloody gc guys just get out the way <laughs> give it a week later bloody sprinters getting in the way before the last climb what are you getting piss off <laughs> so so what's your thoughts then sam what do you think of uh the gc lot well the gas was actually before i had a like a, a big leader train i used to look for you guys so you, <laughs> you used to always come like with like luke would be leading the charge uh, 3k to go and you do this la- like mad lead out and you almost kind of just pulled aside at 1k to go nearly so I always looked for you because I knew that I could I'd be up there at 1k to go and then I just go back into where the sprinters were so I actually used it to my advantage and nobody actually wanted your wheel so I always <laughs> just took it and I got a free ride for 2k <laughs> you're so, welcome uh, so yeah I used to use it um, and then I used to just go back in and find the wheel that I wanted but uh no, I've I have mixed thoughts. Like I I understand what's going on, and I like I know that it's it's more important for you guys. And then, like I know the green jersey is a lot different to the the yellow jersey, but 
I have so much more respect for the yellow jersey. Not that I didn't before. Uh, more for the yellow jersey now that I know what kind of goes into it. In that, before I could have days where I mentally switched off and I just had to make time cut. And it was still a hard day physically, but mentally I could switch off. But going for the green jersey, I'd, I had to be mentally switched on every day. And for a GC guy, it has to go right the whole way through and you're always switched on. So I understand that there's that pressure and there's that going into it. Um, and it, it must be incredibly hard to do it. Yeah, what about when you see a skinny climber that you're like, well, you're not even going to win yellow, mate. And you're still boxing <laughs> on with me. That's got to be see, annoying. Once they're not taking my lead out train, they can do what they want. But if I see them and I see that they have no control over the bike and I can see like almost their handlebar shaking because they're, they're nervous, uh, I just need to get in front. And that almost makes me stressed. So I'm always trying to just get in front. And, and then the problem is when I get to know all of them. So if I see you there, I see Richie there and Froome's there and I, I know all of you guys. I don't, want, I don't want to be the guy that knocks you off. And it's not that I mean to, <laughs> but it just it could happen. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to be the guy that knocks off the, one of these big names and ruins their grand tour, you know. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to be this mean guy. But I'm also trying to be one of your mates. I understand what you're doing. So I'm kind of have a, <laughs> a, yeah, a mixed thought on this. Like, um, I think it comes down to that respect amongst the peloton, really, isn't it? Mm. Because I know, like, when I'm in there, I'm like, right, I don't want to get in the sprinter's way because I know what they're doing. But at the same time, it's a necessary evil, isn't it? I have to do it because, well, you have to do it. But then once it gets to that point where it's time for me to get out of the way, and I'll always let, I've let Cav in numerous times, you know, when I've seen him or Caleb or you or, you know, people you actually know as well. Um, yeah, that makes it the hardest when you actually know somebody. <laughs> yeah, and that must be hard. You know, like you and Caleb are, are good mates. So Caleb is obviously, I'd say you and Caleb are the, the quickest two guys in the pro peloton at the moment. And your best mates, I couldn't imagine like being best mates with like Roglic, like, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I'm not going over his house for dinner. Like I don't, you know what uh, I mean? Like for me, I don't want to live in the same building. <laughs> yeah. Like that must be, especially for like sprinters who, you know, you're so sort of like, you know, macho and confident and aggressive, angry men. <laughs> um, yeah. I think like myself and Caleb spoke about this. Like we always said that, look, we like we're mates we get on off the bike like we're both in the same position we kind of have this respect for each other but when it comes to the final we both kind of made it clear that if there's a gap and we're both going for it we treat it like any other guy in the bunch we don't treat each other like mates it's not that we go out to crash anybody but it's going to if it comes to that as it does with anybody that we don't hold back we like we're there to do a job we're being paid to do this we want to win we we all have egos we we have to switch that off and we always said that after the race we try and put that behind us and we just just try and forget about it um and it's the only thing you can do so would you take him out if you had to yeah would you yeah <laughs> i would uh, but yeah i, I like I'd, I'd expect nothing less from him like wow. and the thing is i'd respect that like i wouldn't want him to to let me in or to, to give me a free, like an easy ride like I you can't you can't do that we're, we're there for a reason that's our job we know the risks that are involved 
yeah just like you can't be a nice guy in the bunch prince what would happen if you know if he wins worlds there's a sprint he's first you're second how do you feel then I just have to laugh <laughs> <laughs> like yeah like I'd, I'd rather him win it than some other sprinter yeah yeah well if he's chopped you up though as well you could have won but you had the speed but he he knew you as well he knew you were coming but he no <laughs> chopped you if it was for the worlds I wouldn't pull the brakes like if he was coming across so it, it depends so if, if it was a smaller race I'd hit the brakes but for a big race so if you're going down you're taking Caleb with you basically then you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> In that moment, Sam, like when you when you open the afterburners, wherever it's going to be in that final, the point that you decide to to go for it, do you always know? Like the moment that you bang, you hit the accelerator, do you know then for the first time if you've got it in your legs? On a rare occasion, I do. But there's been like, uh, like just talking about Caleb this year in the tour, I was convinced that I think the second sprint, I was convinced that I had it. Like I was seventy five meters ago, I was like, oh, I have so much speed here. How am I going to celebrate my first Tour de France <laughs> victory? <laughs> and then within 25 meters, he was after covering so much ground on me. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, what is this? And then, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and uh, he, he came around me and I couldn't make myself wide enough. Um, so, <laughs> like, uh, it's not always the case, but uh, a lot of the time I'm going into a race and I'm like, how the hell am I going to get a result here? how do I repeat what I did last year or whatever the case may be um, but always in a race is a bit different but yeah a bit different but um, yeah I don't always know if I'm going to win or not when you start a sprint as well do you have different because whenever I sprint I just sprint you know I just go like it's all in but for a proper sprinter do you have different gears almost like you're in the same gear but I mean do you start off a bit steadier sometimes and build it or are you like I don't know yeah, like it depends on the wind and also on the on the gradient and stuff like that. Like, and also who's behind me. When I know like which rider's behind me, I have to judge what way I need to do my sprint. So like with Caleb, I have to try and leave it later. With another guy, I might have to go earlier before more guys in the bunch come around me. And then like there's other times where depending on the wind I might try and leave a gap to my lead up man and take a run at him so that I when I get out into the wind I've already built up the speed I've accelerated in the slipstream so there's always different ways but I can't make that decision beforehand it has to be on the road sometimes I don't even wait till the sprint there's been times where I've gone I think in Turkey I went at 1.6k to go Uh, there was a time in the Giro I, I went at 450 meters to go so I always just try and make the, de- the decision on the road. Did you win them too? Yeah. Well, I bet there was some lactate in those legs by then then, by the finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Turkey, you see, in Turkey, when I went at 1.6k to go, it was all corners. It was a real technical final. And I knew once I had a gap, then I could hold it. Um, in in Giro, there was, um, there was two guys in front. I can't remember the guy's name. Was this 2018? Yeah, it was a guy from Bahrain. They were big wide roads as well, weren't they? Yeah, I went onto the racetrack on Imola. That's it. And uh, this guy won from breakaway before uh, a couple of days beforehand. And I didn't want him to stay away again. I didn't want to, like, I, I ended up 
third a few days beforehand because he stayed away with another guy. So I went earlier and took a run at him just to make sure that I caught him before the finish. Um, <laughs> so there's a few times, uh, yeah, I go earlier, but it's it's always hard to make the decision. Do you have to love speed to be a sprinter? I will never go ever as fast on my bike on the flat as as you do. So I just want to wonder what it's like in that in that madcap last hundred meters where you're you're maxing out. Is it just a beautiful feeling for you? Is it just what you want to be doing and exactly the feelings that you want? Yeah. Um, what's funny is when if I try to do a job for a climber to go into the bottom of a climb, I can't get myself in position. I'm not able to find my way through and I get too nervous and it's just so chaotic. I'm like, how do these guys do it before going into a climb? And it's all climbers <laughs> and I, I, I can't and it's, it just feels too quick for me and too dangerous. Bloody bloody sprinters getting in the way <laughs> um, but then in a bunch sprint I don't even think about it and it's not scary but the thing I find like so like I'm say I, I, so I'm a petrol head I love cars but I can't get like even if we're on a racetrack or go-karts or whatever I can't get the same adrenaline from cars and speed as I can from bunch sprints and from how dangerous they are and from like I, I know I'm going to sound crazy but that moment where you touch a back wheel but you stay upright and you get that boost like that boost of adrenaline through you and you're shaking and it's just so exciting like and I love that but I can't get that from day to day life and I know when I'm retired I don't know what I'm going to have to do to get that feeling like I'm going to have to do parachute out of a plane or something like I to get that adrenaline like I can't get it from day to day life so that is something I love but what's funny is yeah I can't do it into a bottom of a climb <laughs> do you enjoy it like even the 20k to go because like for instance most bike races kind of go crazy 5k to go the tour is more 25k to go so when it's kind of you can you know the finish is still I don't know you haven't got that white line fever at that moment in time do you still enjoy the almost the build up to that point is that the worst bit uh, yeah actually that is the worst bit because that's the kind of the moment where you kind of haven't switched over yet like yeah there's a time almost where you can like chat away to guys and it's almost it's better to have more friends in the peloton than enemies so you're always like it's not like any other sport where you're trying to intimidate each other so it's like there has to be a switch at some point to kind of get ready for a sprint but sometimes 20k is too far to go <laughs> or if like the stage 10 in the tour this year was like it was flat it was a proper tour de france stage where there's a, there was going to be a lot of wind but then the wind never came and there's just crashes throughout the day with all the roundabouts and islands i just i don't like that so early like like there's not it's not necessary <laughs> yeah yeah I totally get that. It is crazy at times. But one thing that Sean Yates said to me, actually, you can have this for free, mate, for coming on the pod. <laughs> he was like, all you got to do is get out there and concentrate for four hours. Then after that, just switch on for four hours. Nobody's your friend today. You don't have to chat to anyone. Four hours concentration, and then you can relax and, and chat to whoever you want afterwards. And that's always stuck with me, actually. When it comes to the tour, obviously there's other races where, you know, it doesn't, it's a bit more relaxed, isn't it? But, for us, for example, you know, like in the tour, there's been times where we've just been to the front. We've been on the front pretty much all day and you get a bit of a reputation maybe as being, oh, the bloody look of sky, you know, all robotic and, you know, 
whatever, but it works. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like, there's days where, you know, there's a lot of crossman paranoia happening in the bunch, like, but there's some guys who, who, who can always chat away. But if I have to be in the front echelon, you have to stay switched on. I totally agree with that. Like, sometimes, like, I think Luke actually, uh, Luke Rowe slagged me one day because I wasn't talking away to him. I barely answered him, but it was because I just I was just focused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing with Luke, though, isn't it? He's just on a jolly. He's just got to do. <laughs> he does an early job and then just sits up. Yeah, enjoy, boys. <laughs> Sam, do you always know right, if if a sprint finish is super tight, and it's the ones that when we're watching on TV, we have to wait for the side on camera and the slow mo. Do you always know? Um, when the when the pressure is big for a race, sometimes I don't. If if the race is like like every you you want to win every race, but if it's not such a big race you always know I, I don't know why it is but like in the in the tour this year when I won I thought I lost I convinced myself that I lost just because I didn't expect it like I I just couldn't believe it happened so you don't always always know and then when it's a race you really really want to win like say I always wanted to win Madrid or I wanted to win Madrid uh, in the Vuelta because I've got Rome I've got Champs-Élysées and I wanted to get the third one I Looking back now, I knew I lost, but I wanted it so badly. I was convincing myself I had it. So, um, yeah, I, I suppose you don't always know. Um, I've got one final question, actually, Sam. Yeah. Cav or Chippo? Ooh. I'm going to go with Cav because he's the one that when I was... Okay, he's not so much older than me, but he was the one that I would have been watching on TV. Um Chippo, obviously, you hear all the stories when you're in the bus and when you're in the bunch. Um, but uh, sure, Cav's my teammate as well. Like, I'm going to have to say that, aren't I? Oh, yeah, of course he is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, cheers. Thanks for coming on, Sam. That's been, uh, that's been cracking. Great to chat, mate. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, guys. Week 11 now, Tom. You're turning into a right Zwifter. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm loving my Zwiftgy. My little session I'd done this week was called Uphill Battle. Um, took me about an hour. I ended up burning, according to the Zwift app, 656 calories, which meant that I could have fish and chips for my tea, which was a massive win. Or six Welsh cakes. Yeah, arguably slightly less nutritional value, but possibly more pleasant. Maybe, G, I'll do fish and chips for the first course next time and then have a couple of Welsh cakes for my dessert. Lovely. So if you're listening to this and you fancy giving Zwift a try, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. And of course, don't forget you can join our club ride every Wednesday evening at 6pm. Everyone is welcome. Right, G, so this is the part of the show where we try and come up with some tips for our fellow GTCC club members. So I think we've got to be super specific with this one. I want two tips from you. The first one is just how you get faster. If there's one thing that would make us all faster on our bikes, what would it be? Poor. Now you're asking. You could have asked Sam, couldn't you? Why'd you let him go so soon? <laughs> um, I think your stability on the bike, like your position, um, ah. you want to be solid when you're out the saddle and you kind of want to feel like it sounds a bit weird, but as one with the bike, you know, you and the bike, you're as one and you just... You rock solid up top, really. A bit like we were saying about time trialists, where solid on top, the legs go mental below. Obviously, you're going to have some movement when you're out the saddle. 
But um, yeah, I'd say that's that's a big one. And then secondly, I think just doing it often, do a lot of sprints, vary the sprints you do. Um, they don't have to be 10, 20 seconds, but do some maybe from a slower start, some fast and slightly downhill, some over geared. So you, you know, do a lot more sort of torque and low cadence sort of sprint over cadence mix it up a bit but i think yeah the, the more you do it the the better you're gonna get do you think in the gtcc we should encourage because al- almost the best way to practice your sprinting if you're just riding about i always think is off a set of traffic lights so you could be on your commute to work you could be on your way over to your mate's house you could be on the way back from a long ride but if you're at the, the front and the lights go bang they're green just a nice little five ten second effort bam 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 <laughs> yeah but not on the group ride because there's nothing worse than <laughs> being on a ride with somebody else and they just sprint off from the lights you're like oh you you bastard but no yeah I think we need a few designated sprinters as well actually you know the flamboyant crazy lot really yeah definitely well listen if you fancy if you listen to this and you fancy being one of our designated sprinters in the GTCC and also we should say G if you fancy yourself as a lead out man or woman for the GTCC, get in contact with us, all the usual places on social media. I think those are good positions for the club to fill. Yeah, spot on. Right, time for any other business. What have you got for us this week, Tom? Well, G, if my calculations are correct, which may not be possible because I'm rubbish at maths, I think we've got at the moment about 25 people on our committee, including you and me, That's pretty good going, isn't it? So I think there's always room for a few more. And today we're going to appoint a social media representative. Now, a massive thank you to Fionn, who's already doing a stellar job on that side. But just in case you want any help, Fionn, Josh Schwamm has got in touch. He says, sorry, this is a delayed application, but I've been catching up on the episodes and I'm in Atlanta. Yeah, decent excuse. Uh, He seems to have a lot of experience, G, in baseball and athletics. But I think we can add cycling to that mix, can't we? Can we count Josh in as our US social media rep? Yeah, I think so. They, they, they're always one step ahead as well, aren't they, with all oh, this sort time. of stuff? So, yeah, he's in. Josh, you're in. Now, a few episodes back, we appointed Paul Stobbs as our official book recommender, didn't we? And we knew this was a terrible name. So I'm proposing, thanks to my friend Dan Cornt, who is a Cardiff resident uh, just down the road from UG, um, he has suggested the name Club Archivist. Nice touch, oh, isn't it? Much sorry, better. I, was, I thought you were talking about his actual name then, Tom. I thought he was saying Paul Stobbs was a terrible name. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's a uh, yeah a great way of putting it. Okay, so Paul Stobbs, you are now our official Club Archivist and you're joined by Owen Coxall. Owen is a librarian at the Bodleian Library and he wants to come and sort out the Club Archive. I'm not sure how much archive there is when we're only 11 episodes in. But listen, I suppose with Archives G, the thing is, you've got to start early. Otherwise, before you know it, the archives are right old mess. Yeah, most definitely. It's like uh, it's like when I come back from a race, isn't it? You need to be organised with just sorting out your washing, getting stuff away as soon as you get back. Because otherwise, oh man, it's just... <laughs> yeah, it just gets worse and worse. So Nice. Well, listen, Owen also says, failing that, he could also shush any rowdy meetings. Because, of course, that is another classic librarian skill, isn't it? He says he's a fairly bang average cyclist. No problem with that, Owen. But he grew up in Barry, if that helps, G. Ah, 
Get another Welsh member. We'll always welcome. Yeah. And yeah, I'll have a good shisha. You can do the shushing. Nice. Should we finish with some shout outs? Yeah, let's do that. I've got a good shout out. It's for David Partridge, who was on one of our recent GTCC club rides. Now, David has recently been diagnosed with cancer and is undergoing treatment. So we're stepping back from our rides. But we just wanted to say a massive good luck. And the GTCC is always here for you. So hope to see you on a club ride again soon, mate. Yeah, good luck, David. And finally, we've got a challenge for you. You can walk, ride or run this. Everyone can give it a go. We want you to spell out the letters GTCC on Strava and send us a picture. If you want to team up, that's fine. You could just do the G, maybe get a mate to do the T. You know how this sort of thing works. Give it a try this week. Send us the evidence on all the usual social places. Oh, quality. I might join Strava just to have a go at that, Tom. Who Did you have to do one for when you were at Sky? Didn't you have to do some weird Christmas message where you had to cycle round a warehouse and ring a different bell or klaxon? At certain points yeah. to do a Christmas song. Yeah, I had five different bells on my um, handlebars. And as I rode around the circuit, as I crossed certain lines, it was a certain letter, which was a certain tone of the bell in it. Oh, it's a quality little video. And this was obviously, yeah, jingle bells. So go and Google that. Very good, I'd say, by myself. Just to tempt people, just give me uh, three of the sounds you had to make. I'd like two bells and a klaxon, please. <laughs> uh Ding, 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 ding. <clears throat> that was three. And ba-dong at the end. <laughs> Thank you Terrible. very much. <laughs> but the video is a lot better. If that doesn't make you want to watch the video, I don't know what will. <laughs> and if you fancy listening to another pod on your rides this week, Tom, what can I listen to try out? Yeah, how about this one, G? How about Death of a Sports Star? It's presented by the legendary Elroy Spoonface Powell. You can check out episodes about Kobe Bryant, about Payne Stewart, Marco Pantani, Flojo, John Alomu and more. There's a new episode out every Monday. Just search for Death of a Sports Star. We'll see you next time. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Josh and Owen to our head of social media, Fionn Clark, our head of music, Emma Hickman, our treasurer, Diane Barker and our honorary president, Mike Carr. And of course, most of all, to you for listening and being part of the GTCC. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.